All right, if you would take your Bibles and turn to the book of 2 Peter. We are motoring our way through the book of 2 Peter. We've made it all the way to 2 Peter chapter 1. Today we pick up in verse 5. We're going to read in just a moment verses 5 through 11. If you're using that pew Bible in front of you, it's on page 1,395. And since the pew Bible and my Bible are the same Bible, there's actually not a page number on there, but uh, it is page 1,395. Today, Peter challenges us to see our need to be active in our spiritual growth. Now, I know you're still turning, but I want, and we'll stand and read in just a minute, I want to call attention to the first few words of verse 5. I'm going to talk about it for just a second, then we'll stand and read Scripture. But verse 5 starts with these words, but also for this very reason. Peter is pulling the teaching from the prior four verses. You know, we have, um, this is our third Sunday in 2 Peter. The first week we did verse 1. The second week we did verses 2, 3, and 4. And so Peter talks in verse 5, he says, but for this very reason. And so let me just catch you up quickly. Peter is pulling the teaching from the first four verses into as the foundation for this very reason. Let me give you the reasons that Peter's already shared. For this very reason, because you have been called to be yielded and obedient. Remember, Peter said that he was a bondservant uh, and an apostle. Because you have obtained a precious faith by the righteousness of Jesus. Because you have been given grace and peace. Because you have been challenged to grow in your knowledge of Jesus Christ. Because you have been given His divine power that gives us all things. Because you have been given it all, it, you've been given all it takes to live godly lives. All of this we've talked about in verses 1 through 4. Because we have been given the exceedingly great and precious promises of Christ. Because we have escaped the corruption of the world. Because now, look at verse 4 with me. You're probably there already. That through these, those are those precious promises, you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Notice that each of these series of words that I shared with you Called, obtained, given, challenged, given, 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 escaped. Those are each of the words that I used. And then partakers. This made me, when I was looking at this list, made me go back to my Sesame Street days. I don't even know if Sesame Street, is Sesame Street still on? Thank you. Thank you. Sesame Street is still on. Sesame Street's been on a long time. And it made me go back to my Sesame Street days. Remember this, they would show you these things, and then one of those Sesame Street characters would go, one of these things is not like the others. One of these things doesn't belong. Right? Everybody, you know where I am. Even if you're not a Sesame Street fan, you've heard this before. And what they're telling the kids is that there are things on here that are alike, and then there is one thing that does not match. It doesn't settle with. It's not the same as. And so when I saw all of these things that God had shown us through his word in verses one through four, called, obtained, given, challenged, given, 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 escaped, and partakers, 
all but one of those things. We are the recipient of or the one who benefits from another's action. In only one of those challenges, one of the things that we've talked about in the last four verses over the last two weeks, in only one of those, it is we who are called to be the one who takes action. Notice the word partakers. Now be partakers. That word calls us to take a hand in the game. Something we are to do. Something that we get to do. Now it's an interesting thing. Addie, our granddaughter, she was with us Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And that was a precious time. It was an exhausting time. But it was a precious time. And we have noticed that uh, Addie, not around us, not at home, but in other places like the playground or the play place or the park, she's starting to get a little bit shy around people. Now, we've read it. It's called, she's being a, what is it, a three-nager? She's on her way to becoming three. She hits this stage where she's just a little bit shy and hesitant around people. And we've noticed this, that she's fine. You put her in the play place, and she's just like taking over. But when somebody else walks in, she's done. She doesn't want any part of it uh, anymore. She stops playing. You know what that, we're noticing, we're going, wow. Something occurred, and she went from being a partaker, something that was just all action, 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 to being a sitter-downer. I don't want to do this anymore. Pops. And uh, the other day, one of these places was the play place at McDonald's, and in case you saw me, I had to climb all the way up because that new person who Addie didn't, she wanted to stop, but Addie was at the top when this young lady walks in at the bottom, and Addie's going, I don't want to partake in this anymore. I said, well, come on down. Uh-uh, you're going to come get me. So I had to climb all the way up the play place. Now, those things are either smaller than they used to be, or I'm bigger than I used to be. I don't know, but if you saw me in the top level of the play place, there was a reason Addie was up there, and I went to get her down. But notice, if you're a partaker, it is something that we are to do. Something that we get to do. But do you know the one thing about partaking is, you don't have to. Notice the words I just used. We are to do it, Scripture says. We get to do it, but you don't have to. Let me talk just a second around get to, have to. You know, there's two perspectives as a child of God, I believe, when you read God's Word. If you've come to know Jesus, and you've been saved, and you've been changed, and you have a new heart, and you've got the Word of God and the Spirit of God, do you know you don't have to be good? You don't have to share your faith? You don't have to do anything because you're saved by the grace of God. But God's Word says that you get to. And for some of you who may misunderstand my East Tennessee verbiage here, let me say it differently. All of the things that Jesus calls us to do, you get to. You guys get me, right? You get to do it. When people talk about, do we have to do this? Do we have to do this? Do we have to do this as a child of God? And the answer is no. 
You don't have to do anything as a child of God. You get to. You get to give and serve and go and be and share. You get to. It's a choice that you've been given because of all of these things. And in these verses, it just stuck out to me that we are called to be a partaker. Let me ask you a question. Are you a have-to Christian or are you a get-to Christian? As we discuss these verses today, you get to determine through the Word of God and through the movement of the Spirit of God if you are going to be a partaker or whether you're just going to sit out on all of the fun that God's Word has for you and all of the purpose that God has for your life. So let's stand and read from the book of 2 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 5 through 11. 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. But also for this very reason. So I've now shared with you everything from before. Giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble." For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, you're going to want to keep your scripture open. You may have a seat. Now, I've just spoken to the first part of verse 5 for this very reason. So we're going to move on from that. It says, giving all diligence. You know, I looked up the word diligence. Diligence defined as careful and persistent work, or effort. Another term used in maybe some of your translations in God's Word, instead of giving all diligence, it says, make every effort. Many Christians believe that once you become a child of God, that God will do everything for you. Have you ever heard somebody make this statement, just let go and let God? We've heard this statement before. Church, I can just tell you that that is not biblically true. That is not what God has called us to do. And we're going to talk about that for just a few minutes. Because look in verse 5. It says, giving all diligence. Peter is saying, you need to work carefully and persistently. Give the effort to, verse 5, add to your faith. God's Word is telling you that you have some work to do that you have some things to add. And Peter, in these verses, he listed seven specific things in these verses that we are to give diligence to, that we are to seek to add to the faith, grace, and peace that we've been given by Jesus. And these were virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. But before we talk about these seven things, I want to make two what I will call very important points to sort of set our background on this to make sure that we, that we understand. 
Point one is these seven virtues, these seven characteristics that you've been called to add to it, you have the ability to achieve each of these already residing in you. If you know Jesus as your Savior, when Jesus came into your life, you received faith. You received grace and you received peace. And Peter has said in these first four verses, you have received everything you need for life and godliness. You have it all. And so when we walk into these verses and Peter says, you need to add to your faith these seven things. You don't have the opportunity to say, I can't do that. That's not my thing. Have you ever had somebody talk to you about something and they know they've got a way that they're seeking to live their life and it's not what God would have them to do and they go, yeah, I know, I'm an impatient person. That's just the way God made me. That's just the way I'm going to be. Do you know, biblically speaking, that is a cop-out. You have been given everything because of your salvation for living life and a life that is godly before the Lord. And so you have the ability to do all of these things already residing in you. And you have the Word of God to take with you as you go. Holy Spirit, faith, grace, peace, Word of God, you have it all. So that's just a great point for us to understand. Because first, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 said this, His divine power has given to us all things. All things, church. God is not calling on you to do something that you have no ability to accomplish. He's given you every resource and ability as you grow in your faith, as you actively apply this knowledge of Jesus that you're seeking. Point number two, because you've been told that you can do these things. Point number two is, you must cooperate with God as He brings about your sanctification. Now let me clarify this for just a second. Sanctification defined is a progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and more and more into the image of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. That's sanctification. It is a, do you notice the word progressive? It is something that began in your life when you came to know Christ as Savior. It is something that will continue in and through your life Every day you are alive until you stand before the Lord, and that's when your glorification will kick in. You will finally be made into the image of Jesus. But I want to be clear theologically for just a moment. So I'm going to step over here on a different topic. Sanctification, but I want to make sure that we understand this well. Let me share with you a comparison for just a moment of your justification as compared to your sanctification. Those are two very important words in the life of a child of God. And I want to make sure that I don't say anything today that helps you or that confuses what's going on in your life. Justification is your legal standing before God because of what Jesus did on the cross with your faith. It occurred once at your conversion 
and is for all time. Your justification is you were justified. You were made right by God when you expressed faith and accepted Jesus as your Savior. Justification is entirely the work of God. Now, and God, you are seen as perfect in this life because God sees you through the blood of Jesus as justified already. And this justification is identical for all Christians who have been saved. Now, let me just restate that for just a second. When you come to know Christ through faith, you are justified. God looks at your account and he stamps paid in full, never to be guilty again. And every single one of us who know Jesus as our Savior, we all stand identical before God, perfect because of Jesus having justified us. We all get it. Whether you're four or 104, you are justified at the time of conversion. You are never more justified. You never need to be re-justified. What God's done is permanent and effective always in your life. That's justification. Now, sanctification, as I've alluded to, on the other hand, is about your progressive internal condition. It's about your spiritual growth. Just like a baby, when they're born, is granted everything they need in order to grow into adulthood, all they need to be is fed, encouraged, taken care of. But the ability for them to grow up, God's already given them everything they need. I've gotten to this age not because I've done something. It's because the Lord has given me arms and hands and height, and, or not much height, and, you know, and, 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 and all of these things. But let me tell you more about your sanctification. It began at your conversion, and it will continue to occur throughout your life. We are not perfect in this life. We are called to cooperate and participate with what God is desiring to do in us. Sanctification, therefore, is greater in some than it is in others because it is absolutely dependent upon your yieldedness and your cooperating and obedience to God. Does everybody See the difference. Justification is you and God are good because of Jesus. Sanctification is God says, now that I've begun a good work in you, I'm going to complete it until the day of your glorification, and I want to make you more and more like Jesus. And I need you to walk along with me, child of God. Not walk along with me. God says, I need you to walk along with me. You need to take a hand in the game. You need to be a partaker. Because if you're not careful, you get to the end of verse 4 of 2 Peter chapter 1, you go... Thank you, God, for what you've done. I'm done. And there are a lot of people in this world today that have said, thank you, God, for what you've done. Now I'm done. I don't know how else you explain the fact that statistics show that, I think I read in the Baptist and Reflector this week or last week, that there's like uh, 12 million Southern Baptists in the United States and 3 million Southern Baptists regularly attend church. Makes you sort of go, hmm, I don't understand that. 
Have you ever known somebody who claims to know Christ, but their life doesn't look like Christ? I'm not going to say that they're not saved because that's between them and God, and they could be absolutely justified, but yet they have decided that they're not going to partake anymore. Somebody else walked into their play place. They needed, they're just going to stop, and that's all they're going to do. Recall in verse 5, it says, look at verse 5 with me. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith. Did you see whose responsibility is to add? It's your responsibility. James 4, 8. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. Did you notice whose responsibility it is to cleanse their hands? whose responsibility it is to let go of things in their heart. Now, you've been given the ability to do it, but you have to take the action to set down these things that are not godly. Romans chapter 8, verse 13 says, listen for the action in these verses of what you are to do as a child of God. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Did you notice? There are... Things in your life that don't belong as a child of God, but God says, I've given you everything you need. Now you put them to death. There's an action. Galatians chapter 6, verse 8 says, For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Sanctification is God's will for your life. It is His process of becoming, you becoming more and more like Christ. And God will bring it about in your lives as we do the things He's called for us to do. Like prayer, repentance, obedience, purifying our hearts and minds, seeking Him first, allowing the Holy Spirit to direct us, gaining knowledge in Him. Colossians 3.1 says this, since then, you have been raised, since then you have been raised with Christ, Set your hearts on things above. Do you know where you set your heart is where your life will sail? And Scripture says, set your heart on the things of God. That's a choice, child of God, that you get to make. Back to verse 5. Also for this very reason, giving all diligence, making every effort, Add to your faith. You've been given the ability to make this happen by God. Do you have to? No. But if somebody looked at me and they said, Jeff, I need to talk to you. I've come to know Jesus as my Savior. He's the Lord of my life, but I really don't want to do anything else. I'm going to say what many of you are saying already. That person didn't really come to know Jesus. Now, I'm not judging them. And I'm seeking not to judge you. I'm seeking to provide the truth to you in love. But if your life is void of partaking, your life could be void of Jesus. Peter is calling believers into a commitment to live as Christ lived. 
Through the Spirit, God has provided us with everything we need to live virtuously. It's now up to us to develop and use what He has provided. And that's not God sending you off and being inactive in your life. That is God walking with you every single day, showing you through His Spirit and His Word how to live. God is never going to let you off on your own. But God is going to, as we've seen in His Word, challenge you to live. So let's talk about these virtues for just a moment. Virtue. It's called moral excellence. Some of you might see the word goodness. It is a desire to fulfill God's purpose for our lives. Do you have that desire? To allow God to have control. You see, I just happen to believe that God's word is perfect the way it's been provided to us. And when God tells us to add to our faith goodness, I believe that is the next step that a person is able to take. You can sit, I don't believe that you can say, well, I've already got love number seven already taken care of. Well, I tell you what, We've had ladders all over this building for the last few weeks. And there's lots of kinds of ladders. But do you know that ladder is basically two side pieces with a bunch of rails? And do you know you can't get to the top rung without having stepped on the lower rungs before it? Church, let me just tell you, when you read this and when you read it later today and when God really works in you this week over what He's teaching all of us right now, it's my prayer that you'll see that God is not only asking you to add these seven things in your life, He's encouraging you and telling you that in this order will be the way they will come. Virtue will then therefore help us develop knowledge. Help us learn to live life successfully or in a discerning way. To know right from wrong, truth from lie, encouraging from hurtful. This knowledge, follow along with me as we come through verses 5, 6, and 7. This knowledge will help us develop self-control, what some uh, translations call temperance. This means having control over ourselves and our impulses. So we desire to let God have His way. We understand knowledge, what God's way is. And then self-control is we yield to God to not do those things. 400 years before Jesus, every now and then, I'm not a history person, but every now and then I read something about history and it blows my mind about timing. You know, Aristotle, we've all heard of Aristotle. Do you know that Aristotle lived 400 years before Jesus? Huh. Some of you just went, wow, I didn't know that. But 400 years before Jesus, Aristotle wrote this. The unrestrained man does things he knows to be evil, under the influence of passion, whereas the self-restrained man, knowing that his desires are evil, refuses to follow them on principle. Did you guys get that? A man who is self-controlled just says no, because no just needs to be said. Self-control comes as a work of the Holy Spirit. It is allowing the Holy Spirit to guide what we see, what we do, and what we should do. Self-control then helps us develop perseverance. Some call this patience. 
Self-control has to do with how we handle the pleasures of life. Think about that, the one before it, pleasures of life. Perseverance is how we handle the pressures of life. You see the difference there? Perseverance is developed over time at the hand of trials God's Word teaches us, drawing us to trust God more. Perseverance then will help us develop godliness. This simply means to be God-like. This person is right in his relationship with God and also with man. He seeks to imitate Christ. Godliness will then help us develop what Scripture teaches as brotherly kindness. Now this translates as the word Philadelphia. We all know this to be the city of brotherly love. Well, that is the Greek word of brotherly love. It describes relationships of love with family, both biological and spiritual. The love I have for you, the love you hopefully have for me, is brotherly love. It is the love that we have for each other. It's also the love that uh, then brotherly kindness will help us develop love. Now, this word is not Philadelphia. This word is agape. This is the kind of love that God shows to lost sinners through Jesus. This is the love described in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is the goal of our growth. When we have brotherly love, we love because of our likenesses with others. But when we have agape love, we love in spite of our differences. Now, if you walked back through that, you can see that God is developing you, but there is a connection of how these all build. And do you know when you get to the point that you agape love, when you love as God loves, do you know what you've become? Like Jesus. You can't get there soon if you go, I already have agape love. Well, then you are something special. Because see, sanctification, by definition, will not be complete until you stand before Jesus. We're not there yet. Now, can you be progressing along the spiritual growth scale? Absolutely. You should be. That's what God has designed you to be. You know, it's impossible to manufacture these qualities in our lives. They must be produced by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has that ability because we have been given all things necessary to be partakers. Look at verse 8. So if these things, these seven things, so far we've been given faith, grace, and peace in verses 1 through 4, and then we are to add these seven uh, characteristics or traits that God wants to do in our life. Verse 8 says, if these things are yours and abound. Another translation might say, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure. Church, what we need to understand is what it said right there in verse 8 is this is an ongoing process. I was alluding to that just a minute ago. In your life, it's a daily process. Your daily sanctif- your sanctification will progress daily as you seek the Lord up until you stand before Him. Peter then shares with us as we, I'm not, I get ready to say as we near being done, we, we've got just a few minutes, so... Peter then shares with us the benefits. You know, because if somebody came to me and they said, Jeff, now that you know Jesus and you have faith and you have peace, 
and you have grace, and you've been justified. And you don't have to do any of these things, but you get to do these things to become more and more like Jesus. I, like you, might be saying, well, what are the benefits if I do? That's a fair question. Because it's a question that God's already answered for us in this scripture. So let's just look very quickly at the benefits that Peter shares that you individually will gain when you allow yourself to be sanctified by a loving God. Verse 8 says, you will neither be barren or unfruitful. Let's put that the positive way. That means that you will be fruitful. Your fruits of spirit will abound in life. You will see people drawn to Jesus because of your testimony. You will be fulfilled in your service to Christ. You will know Jesus so intimately and personally that your life will be abundant and to the full, which is Jesus' design for you, so he said in John 10.10. 10. So you get to be fruitful. Verse 9 gives us a second one. He who lacks these things is short-sighted, blind, and forgetful. Not only will you be fruitful, you'll have a clear vision. You know, people want to know, what's my life all about? What's my purpose? What's God want for me? Well, if you allow the sanctification of God, these virtues to be added to your life, it says that you won't be short-sighted, blind, or forgetful, which means you'll have a clear vision. You will know Jesus. You will know what He desires for you to do, and you will have a clear purpose. You will clearly know who you are in Jesus Christ. Now, that's one of the things that we may have a challenge with as believers is, who are we in Christ? What are we to do in Christ? What is my purpose? What is my value? What is God's call on my life? And verse 9 says... You allow God to work in your life to sanctify you, it'll all become clear. Verse 10, you will never stumble. You know, I love the fact that Peter, of all of the disciples, is the one that says, if you'll live this way, you won't stumble. You know, Peter was the king of falling down. You talk about somebody who should have been quiet, but talked anyway. You talk about somebody who should have accepted, but he fought against it. Peter stumbled a lot. I've stumbled recently. I could probably coach you into how not to fall. That's what Peter's trying to do. Because I'll tell you this, no matter how graceful I have made the last five months of my life look like, it hurt like crazy. Falling is not what you want to do, not physically, or not spiritually. And Peter says, if you will allow this God who loved you, gave you faith, gave you grace, gave you peace, if you'll allow him to work in your life and you will do the work to add these things, allow God to do his work in your life, you will be fruitful. You will have a vision and know who you are and you will never stumble. Now, are you going to fail? Yeah, we're probably going to sin. Remember, we're not, perfect. we're not perfect yet. But you will know, because of this, what to do with your sin. You will know how to repent of your sin. You will know how to be cleansed of your sin. And you will know that that sin does not define you. 
And sometimes today, the church is not being active because we have fallen down. And number 11, or not number 11, verse 11. An abundant entrance into the everlasting kingdom of our God, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You know, one day, you'll have a glorious welcome by Jesus. Church, I'll tell you this, I want that. Am I competitive? Maybe. Am I driven? Sometimes. When somebody puts a goal out before me, will I go for it? Most of the time. Verse 11 says, Jesus is going to be right there with an abundant entrance into the kingdom. And you're going, well, Jeff, aren't we all going to get that? No. Let me share with you just write this down in your notes. I've already got it right here. You don't have to turn. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 to 15 says this. Paul writes, According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. That's the foundation of Christ. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it, that's a capital D day, that's the day of Christ, will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on on it endures, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. The entrance you receive into heaven, now that you know Jesus, you know Jesus, you get to go. The scripture teaches now the entrance you receive is up to you. It's up to you hearing God, trusting God, letting God, and then trusting to do the things that the Spirit of God has been given to you to enable you to do. And I'll tell you this. I want the most abundant entrance into Jesus that I can find. And church, can I tell you, it's not because... I like fanfare. But based upon what I read in Scripture, if I get this abundant welcome of Jesus into the kingdom, it will be because He gave me faith, grace, and peace. But it will also be that He built within me and used of me virtue, knowledge, Self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. Some Christians, they're building their lives with the things they desire. Scripture just showed us that those things will burn up, and one day they'll be counted as nothing. 
Their salvation will still be in place, but that's it. This morning, I was coming in and I stopped at a place. Yep, that place. And I was in there because I always go in. And there were people in there. Their shirts were aggressively angry statements. Their acronyms were horrible. Their language, their attitudes. And I'm walking in, and I have to wait at this place. And the Lord just burdens me that these people who are getting ready to get in their truck and pull their boat and go, and I'm not making statements on trucks or boats. I'm making statements on their heart. Everything I could see says that their life, they won't get an abundant entrance into Jesus. Based upon what I saw, they likely won't see Jesus at all. And God reminded me that He has a purpose. And that purpose is for Him to give me faith, save me, make Jesus my Lord, give me grace and give me peace. For, he, for me to be given all things it needs to be living a life of all of these traits so that fruitfulness will come, so that God will be glorified. And you know, the only fruit I can find that we are called to deliver is helping other people come to know Jesus. These people needed Jesus. And as I got in my car, and as I drove to the church this morning, I was burdened by them. But then I realized that them, those that don't know Jesus, outnumber us. And that's a shame. And God wants to do something about that. And the something He wants to do is by sanctifying me and you to live for Him so that other people can come to know Jesus. Amen.